thing, okay? We're going to take a quick survey. Okay, if you, if you had to choose between two things, which one would you pick? Are you ready? Would you pick doctrine or passion? Which one would you rather have in our singing? Yes. The answer is yes. And I want to thank you for doing uh, engaging in both this morning. It is such an encouragement to sing deep truths and be excited about them. Be moved in spirit by the realities that we sing and the great truths that we treasure. So thank you for embodying that and such an encouragement uh, personally to me to hear you all. A parable. A parable is an illustration that uses something visible to help people understand something that is not visible. That's Alex Miller. I need to know an answer to a question. What do you do on Thursday? You ask Alex. Ethan's like, what happened to me? A simple illustration or definition. I'll say it again. A parable is an illustration that uses something visible to help people understand something that is not visible. The word parable means this, to throw alongside. It throws alongside normal, ordinary existence alongside the reality of the kingdom of God. Visible, invisible. We don't see the reality of the kingdom of God. We don't see certain heavenly truths in reality with our eyes. And yet, in a parable, we can throw along ordinary human existence to help illustrate and understand the reality that we cannot see. And so today, we see that we're approaching a pas- a bunch of passages, actually, a, a chapter in Matthew. As we continue our series in Matthew, Matthew 13. So just grab your Bibles and open up about to read a pretty long passage in Matthew 13, we see that Jesus will begin to consistently teach in this method of parables. Matthew 13.3 says he told them many things in parables. That's what Jesus is going to do today. He's going to throw alongside everyday human existence with what he's been teaching in Matthew, the reality of the kingdom of God. Parables. He's going to teach in parables. His disciples, he's going to teach us in parables. And the question becomes, why? Why a shift from the direct plain speech of the Sermon on the Mount to parables? Why is he teaching in parables? What are the purpose of these parables. His disciples are going to ask that question. It's an important question for us to ask as well. So Matthew chapter 13, verses 1 through 23. Parables. The first one is the parable of the sower, or many may call it the parable of the soils. Listen to what the Word says. That same day Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea. 
great crowds gathered about him, so that he got into a boat and sat down. And the whole crowd stood on the beach, and he told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground, where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up, since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. Verse 10, Then the disciples came to him and said, Why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered them, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. But to them it has not been given. For the one who has, more will be given. And he will have an abundance. From whom the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, You will indeed hear, but never understand. You will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, And their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see, and did not see it. Hear what you hear, and did not hear it. Here then, the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. And as for what was sown on the rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. And as for what was sown on good soil, This is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case, a hundredfold, in another sixty, and in another thirty. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God abides forever. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we pray that your spirit would speak to us and apply the reading of your word to our hearts, that we would hear.
hear, see, and understand, turn, and be healed and bear fruit for the glory of God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The parable of the sower, verses 1 through 9. He talks about uh, a, uh, the seed uh, being a, a sower that goes out to sow. And he's sowing seeds along four kinds of soil. Right? The, some fell along the path. Some fell on rocky ground, he says. Some of that seed fell among thorns. Other seeds fell on what he calls good soil. And then he comes to verse 9 and he says, He who has ears, let him hear. And I want you to understand that as we read the Word today, as we do each week, that that is uh, fundamentally what's taking place in this moment. If you're wondering, what is the Lord calling me to do in this passage? It's that. He who has ears, let him hear. It is Jesus this morning that calls those uh, people there and all of us to hear His Word. Christ calls us to hear. That's the significance of what we're reading and what He says in verse 9. And many of us come today at the reading of the Word and we are distracted by work. We're consumed with our kids. Some of us say amen to that. We got new jobs. We're going through a lot of stress. Situations that are frustrating at work. Our kids, we're pulling our hair out, trying to figure out how in the world we're going to disciple them, raise them up to be people that love Jesus. How we're actually going to be prepared for the week. Some of us may be even entangled in some kind of conflict that's consuming our thoughts, that's hurt us, that we're offended by, we're frustrated, maybe in the midst of some marital conflict in our home that we can't seem to shake. And in this moment, Jesus says, listen to me. Jesus says, listen to me. I want to tell you something. I want to teach you something. I've got something to say to you. In the midst of your distractions, in the midst of your tension, in the midst of your stress, you see, that's what uniquely takes place here in the public preaching of the Word as the church gathers on a Sunday. It's rest. It's rest from all that. And it's a moment where we come and we listen to Jesus, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the revealer of the truth of Almighty God. And He says, listen to me. So put your phones away, unless, of course, that's your Bible. Turn your notifications off. For a moment, put the pause button on the distractions and all the things that demand your attention no matter where you are, no matter what economic status you're in, no matter what ethnicity you are, no matter what you face, all those things are significant and important. But in this moment, listen to Jesus. He who has ears, let him hear. And here's the wonderful thing. This is what you need today more than anything else. This is what you need. That's why you're here. You know this. You've gathered here each week because you know that in the preached word that God gives His grace to you, He feeds your soul, 
You understand that man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Amen? You need Christ's word today. So listen. He who has ears, let him hear. And you say, well, that's a weird thing for Jesus to say. Of course we all have ears. We're listening. We're listening. We're we're hearing you, Jesus. What do you mean, listen? He who has ears, let him hear. What is he talking about? Well, not everyone that has ears hears. If you've ever seen the movie, and I don't recommend it, parents. White men can't jump. I don't recommend it, okay? I'm just saying. Somebody told me about the movie, and I'm just giving... Somebody told me about it. Never saw the movie. The interaction between Wesley Snipes and Woody Harrelson, and he puts Jimi Hendrix on in the car. The guy's yelling from the back. What's wrong with me listening to Jimi Hendrix? Because a lot of people listen to Jimi Hendrix. So what? They don't hear Jimi. There's a difference between listening and hearing. Jesus recognizes that you may be listening to the Word, but also at the very same time, you may not be hearing truly what He's saying. So that's what Christ calls us to this morning. That's what He calls the world to. That's what He calls you to. Christ calls you to a true hearing of the Word today. Are you hearing this? He calls you to a true hearing. He's telling you implicitly that there's a false hearing. There's a false hearing. There's a listening to Jesus. And then there's actually a hearing Jesus. So, hear the call of Christ. If you have ears to hear, hear, listen. To what he says. And the disciples come to him a little bewildered in the midst of this call. You want us to hear, truly hear. Why are you talking to us in parables? So they go to him and they ask him, right? Verse 10. The disciples came to him and said, Why are you speaking to them in parables? You're talking about sower and seeds and soils. Just tell them. Just speak plainly. If you want us to hear, if you want it to be clarified, why do you speak in ways that seem to be mystifying the truth that you're trying to proclaim? Why do you speak in parables to them, Jesus? And He tells them. He says, to them in verse 11, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables. I want you to see something that you may not see. I want you to hear something 
that you may not hear. What's happening here is that Jesus is teaching in parables for this reason. He's answering their questions because what he's doing is both revealing and concealing truth at the same time. He's both providing grace and blessing, and at the very same time, he's pronouncing judgment. In the parable, he's doing both and. He's doing one and he's doing one and two. He is revealing and he's concealing. He is dispensing grace and he's pronouncing judgment. To you, he says to the disciples, it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. He's revealing truth regarding the kingdom of God to his disciples, to those whom it has been given. What a wonderful thing to think about. The revelation of Christ and the realities of the kingdom of God is a gift. I want you to hear that. It is a gift. It is not a wage. It is not earned. This is what Jesus is saying. It is a gift, not a wage. It is a grace, not a merit. It's a very important. God is the giver. The disciples of Jesus are the receivers. Sovereign grace here is at work. This is the motive. It is not the merit of any one person, which is the basis by which God is revealing. It is a gift. And so we hear this right away. Christ is calling us to a true hearing, but I want you to hear that true hearing comes by grace. True hearing of the Word of Christ comes by grace. Let that set in. We're going to come back to it in a second. But he goes on to say, while it has been given to you, to them, it has not been given. Jesus is revealing, yes, but he's concealing truth regarding to the king, uh, regarding the kingdom of God to those it has not been given. D.A. Carson says this, Jesus' answer cannot legitimately be softened. He's giving it to these giving it to them. He's doing it on the basis of grace and His sovereign will, not according to merit. As simple as that. He says, for to the one who has, more will be given. And what a wonderful thing to think about. God is giving you that grace and revealing the secrets of the kingdom to you. Look at what He says about that. He's saying this, that if you have it, more will be given to you. What an encouragement for the people of God from the mouth of Christ. If you are receiving grace, guess what? You're going to get more grace. What he's saying is, is that when God gives His grace to us, God's grace grows in us. Don't miss that. What a reassuring word for the believer for those who know Christ, for the disciples. That this giving of grace is a continual thing that happens. The the grace that God gives to us is a grace that grows inside us. It's like a seed planted in our hearts that will grow. That's the nature of divine grace. It's never stagnant when it's given. It just keeps growing in us. It moves. It transforms. And it does something continually 
Isn't that a wonderful thing to think about? So I want you to understand something. That if you're here today, and you're, I don't know if God loves you. I, I don't know if God's at work in my life. That if you are a disciple of Jesus, God is graciously at work in you right now. You say, yeah, but I'm going through a tough time. Exactly. You say, man, I've got challenges that in situations in my life that are really frustrating. I don't feel like God's grace is at work in me. Exactly. That no matter what you're facing, no matter what frustration and suffering has come in your way, that it is God in the midst of that providing His grace to you and growing His grace in you and producing the kind of fruit that grace alone can produce. God's at work in you now by His grace. Such a reassuring thing. But the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. It's a pronouncement of judgment, people. It's a pronouncement of judgment on those. And it's a righteous pronouncement at that. Parables are an act of judgment, an act of concealing truth from those whom it has not been given to know. The act of judgment is in accordance with His divine sovereignty, and it is perfectly just, and it is unquestionably justifiable uh, because of the nature of the one who is doing it. God. He has the right to give and dispense grace. He has the right to give and dispense judgment. Parables are a way of teaching that brings that purpose about. He goes on to say, that the righteousness of it in dispensing the judgment is he's judging of people that are hard-hearted, who are blind, who are deaf, who are far from him in their wickedness and their evil, whose hearts are wicked and broken. For this people's heart has grown dull. With their ears they can barely hear, their eyes they've closed, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. Jesus' teaching is an act of judgment on those who are simply unresponsive to what they hear. And He withholds that in a righteous way. But He goes on to say, verse 16, Blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. Truly, I say to you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see, and did not see it, and to hear what you hear, and did not hear it. But God continues to be at work, blessing people whom it has been given to see and hear the reality of the kingdom. Do you believe that today? Do you believe that God's still at work in the hearts of men, women, and children to enable them to hear and to see? Do you believe that God is at work saving people from their sin, giving them a new heart? Have we lost all sense of hope in the body of Christ? In the midst of our secular age, hear that. God continues to work by proclaiming the message in the word of Christ and turning people from their sins and bringing them back into relationship with Him. That's what God is doing. And He's doing it through the Word of Christ. True hearing comes by grace. You have to hear that. It is not deserved. It is not a right for you. 
It is something that God gives to us graciously according to His will. And that's an awesome thing to think about. That's what happened to you when you came to faith. It was God's grace operative in your heart. That's what God did to me as a young kid when He drew me with the hearing of the Word of Christ. And and He opened up my eyes and opened my ears that I might hear and respond to His Word. It was grace that did that. There's nothing special in me as opposed to others. It was just God's grace. And when you think about those realities, what does it cause within us? What does it promote? But worship. It promotes worship. The reality of grace promotes worship, doesn't it? So what is my takeaway today? When you hear that, that, that true hearing comes by grace, worship God. Rejoice in Him. Take comfort in Him. Stand up. Raise your hands in praising surrender. Clap. Sing. Worship the living God. For His grace is freely given to us. Paul says in Romans 12.1, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. To do what? To present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. In view of mercy, worship. Worship God. The reality of grace inspires us, promotes within us worship. So worship God today. In some ways you already have. And I'm grateful for that. But not only this, when we think about the necessity of grace, that no one in and of themselves has the ability to turn and to be healed on their own accord, that that grace is necessary. And we think about people in our lives that are so far from God. People in our families, in our workplaces. As we're beginning to plant a church in Beville, where 40% of the people have absolutely no affiliation with any faith whatsoever. We think about the lives of people that live in that community. What does that, the, the necessity of grace promote within the people of God? Not just worship and praise, and gratitude, but also a bent knee in prayer. It is our duty and our privilege to go to God and pray that He would be gracious in the lives and the hearts of men and women that we know that are far from the living God, that need God's grace to be saved. So pray. Pray for people. If you believe that it's required for people to be saved, that God would be at work in their soul. That know this, that God delights in the prayers of His people and that He hears and responds to our crying out. Pray for people who do not know Jesus, who are out of step and uh, and that do not have an experience, a personal experience with the power of God's saving grace. Pray that God would be gracious to save them. So worship Him. Worship Him, amen? Pray. Are you praying for people by name? Are you praying daily? Do you weep on your knees for the souls of people who apart from saving grace will receive judgment? 
the urgency is there because the necessity is inescapable. True hearing comes by grace. It comes no other way than by grace. Grace is necessary to hear. So let's pray out of love for God, out of love for people. Let's cry out and plead with the Savior of the world that He would save on the basis of His sovereign grace that He would move in people's lives and redeem them, set them free from the shackles of sin and give them a hope of eternal life, restore them back into fellowship with the God that made them. Amen? Let's pray. True hearing comes by grace. So that's why he teaches in parables. He calls them to hear. Understanding that there's true hearing. There's fake hearing. There's revealing. There's concealing. There's grace. There's judgment. He goes on to explain the the parable of the sower, verse 18. He says in verse 19, when anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, first of all, he likens the seed to the word. I want you to see that. He explains the parable to the disciples. He's likening the seed to the word, that Jesus is the sower. And as he comes and teaches the realities of the kingdom, it's in his word, sowing seed. And the sowing is an image of the ministry of the word in the world, Christ's word. And he goes on to talk and he, he explains the, the soil, uh, that, well, the seed that falls along the path. And Jesus likens the, the seed that's sown along the path to those who hear but don't understand because seed is snatched away by the work of the enemy, by Satan. The evil one is at work in the world. We need to come to grips with this. Satan is at work. He's a thief. He's a liar. And as the word of God is spread, he wants to steal. He wants to snatch away. And he does so through deception. Does anyone in your life know a, a kind of a person that no matter what happens, there's a there's a lie or there's deception that's always in play as if the enemy has earplugs in their ears or headphones over their ears and they just can't hear. Do you know those kinds of people? It comes out in the way that they respond and the deception and the lies that they believe. That's the heart of the person where the seed is sown along the path. There's some people very close to me that I know that are in this place. That they've heard the word, but the enemy has deceived them. And what Jesus is saying in this parable is that due to the enemy's work, we can expect barrenness. He's shaping their expectations. Due to the enemy's work, we can expect barrenness. Because the enemy will come and snatch it away. But not only does he talk about that soil, he talks about the seed that falls along the rocky ground. Verse 20. And Jesus is likening seed sown 
among the rocks to those who hear with initial joy. Some of you know people in your life like this. They get really excited about it. Yes. They receive it with initial joy, but immediately they fall down in the face of difficulty and persecution. I'll never forget in the early days of Missio that this was an amazing thing that took place. Jim Murphy had led one of his, uh, his friends to the Lord that was helping him record some music. And uh, this person was hearing the gospel. And Jim came back and said, you're not going to believe what just happened. My friend just gave his life to Jesus, and his life is completely transformed. He went from atheist to believer like that. We're all rejoicing in it. And Baptism Sunday came, and we baptized him, and he testified to his newfound relationship with Jesus. And about two weeks later, I went up to Jim. I said, Jim, where's so-and-so? And he said, yeah, I got really bad news. I said, what? Well, he went home and told his wife about it. And his wife got really angry. His wife and him entered into a ton of conflict. And his wife refused to, to, to talk about it with him. And over the course of a number of conversations, in the midst of that conflict, his wife had convinced him again that this was all a sham. So this brother had received pressure. He'd received persecution from his own spouse. And in the end, he had walked away and rejected the faith. And we never saw him again. What illustration of someone whose seed falls along the rocky soil. Persecution, tribulation, pressure from others in situations can be overwhelming. They immediately receive the word, but in the end, they fall away. And that's what that word really is. It's a falling away. It's a tripping over a rock. Something about the gospel becomes offensive and difficult for them, and they fall away. Their faith is superficial. Nothing takes root. So in the end, they say, no thanks, I want nothing to do with it. And so because of the enemy's work, yes, we can expect barrenness. But also due to persecution and difficulties, we can expect barrenness. Nothing to come of it. And then he goes on to talk about this, the seed that is sown among the thorns. He talked about two things specifically. He talks about uh, the pressures of the world and the pleasures of the world. These are the thorns. Tell me worldly pressures don't have a way of choking out the ministry of the Word in our lives and in our world. We're consumed with past temple realities. I mean, I don't know how many conversations with my wife are like logistics. How are we going to do this tonight? How are we going to do this tomorrow? We're just thinking about today. And our mind is nowhere on the Word. How many mornings start out with the intention of engaging the Scriptures, but turn into checking our calendar, remembering what we forgot, and setting us on a path of making lists, and checking and checking and checking them off. The world around us is overwhelmed and distracted by stuff to do. There's thorns. Work gets in the way. The busyness of ordinary life. 
And these daily pressures of life leave us anxious. We're afraid. We're scared. We feel worry and anxiety, don't we? Jesus says that among the thorns, that, 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 that the cares of the world take over. The worries of the world take over. Just getting through the day, getting through the week. We don't have time for that. Or as I call them, some of us come down with the first I got us. I know the Word is the grace that I need. I know Christ is trying to speak to me. I know what you're saying. But first I got to do this. I am the worst at the first I got us. Yeah, yeah, you're right. I know that's important. But first I got us. Raise your hand if you struggle with the first I got us. The world struggles with the first I got us. Most people are not thinking about eternal heavenly realities that the Word of Christ reveals. They're worried simply about Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, what's going on right now. They live in a perpetual state of the first I got us, and they never deal with the eternal realities of the Word of God. Even we fall into that trap, don't we? And you wonder why we're stressed out. You wonder why we're anxious. You wonder why that 40 million adults in the United States are struggling with anxiety disorders. I'm grateful that Calvary Baptist is putting on an anxiety conference, retreat, whatever, seminar. Mid-May. Check it out. I know many of you struggle with this. You know I've confessed this is a big struggle of mine. I'm a fingernail biter. Never use, hey, I'm struggling, no, never use clippers. That's an anxious man. Okay? Worldly pressures choke out the world, but not just that, but pleasures. Pleasures. Man, you start to drink of the beauty and glory of the American dream. You get a little bit more money. You have a lot more fun. You're enjoying your life. You come down with what Chim Challey's references. You come down with affluenza. We're so affluent. We're living in suburban communities, many of us. And we have it all. And it numbs the effect of sin. We don't feel the weight of sin as much because we've got enough money to kind of numb its effect. And so it's a, everything's fine. It's all good. We're doing just great. And the need for God, the need for His Word, the recognition of eternal realities becomes a distant thing, something maybe we'll think about later, but for now we're just going to enjoy. We're going to be tempted and word away by the, de the deceitfulness of riches and what they can buy us, the pleasures of this world. Many of us struggle with this. He's saying the seed falls on those kinds of hearts. People who are wrestling with pressures. People who are addicted to pleasures. And guess what happens? He says they choke the word out and it proves unfruitful. Because of the pressures and pleasures of the world, we can expect barrenness. Barrenness. So expect barrenness. 
Jesus telling his disciples. He's shaping their expectations. Expect barrenness. And you say, well, this isn't barren. Don't miss what he says in verse 24. And as for what was sown on the good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. It means putting things together. Understanding. If you notice, you go back, right? That's the issue. From 14, you will indeed hear, but never what? Understand. Verse what? 15 at the end. And uh, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and what? Understand with their hearts. You see, the first three soils, they heard, but they did not understand. They didn't connect the dots. The ear was not connected to the heart. What they heard was not transforming their life. That's what understanding does. It brings two things together. It unites truth and our lives. That's what understanding is. He's saying, listen, as for those sown on the good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. Again, enabled by the grace of God. Because hearing is a grace. The one who understands it, the one who puts it together because of the work of God's grace in their life, Listen to what Jesus says. He says this. He indeed bears fruit. He indeed bears fruit. And yields, in one case, a hundredfold, and another sixty, and another thirty. Because of the grace of God at work in the hearts of people, guess what we can expect? Harvest. Do you feel the hope of that? Harvest. That's the reality of the kingdom. As the word is proclaimed, expect fruit. Not all seed lands on bad soil. There is a soil upon which the Holy Spirit has plowed. Do you believe that today? Is that your life this morning? There's a soil upon which the Spirit has plowed. A heart that has been prepared by grace to hear and receive the truth. I wonder if the Spirit of God's doing that right now. Jesus is speaking to you personally. He's opening your eyes. He's opening your ears. Grace is at work. And He's causing you to turn and to hear. Maybe grace is at work simply as a believer. He's causing you to turn from the anxieties to Him. Turn from the pleasures to Him. Turn from the distractions to Him. And and just embrace Him all the more, renewed in strength in your faith. Maybe just simply adjusting your expectations this morning. You know, I just, I'm so frustrated with the world in which I live. I'm confused about what's going on. I'm mad that people don't believe what I believe. I'm frustrated and I'm just disillusioned. Maybe you've expected everything to be perfect. Maybe you've expected that every time you talk about Jesus, everybody's going to get saved. Maybe your expectations need adjusted to know that you're just sowing seed in somebody's life. And it's up to grace to be at work. It's up to the Lord to do His work. You're just being faithful. But maybe you've given up. Maybe you've lost all hope. And you said, I'm not even going to engage in the ministry of the Word anymore because I don't think God's at work. I don't think there's any good soil out there anymore. 
said, no, I'm still at work in the world. That's the reality of the kingdom. The reality of the kingdom is not a past thing that we look back on. It continues to be a reality for us today. Amen? Christ is King. He is Lord. He has conquered Satan, sin, and death. And He's still at work according to His grace. There's still soil out there that the Spirit of God has prepared as we minister the Word of Christ. True hearing will take place, understanding will set in, and fruit will be born for the glory of God. We live with that kind of expectation. We live with that kind of hope that the Word bears fruit in people's lives. Maybe today it's just simply a reminder that the Word of Christ is what you need more than anything else for anything you face. And that you need to listen to Him and hear which comes from grace and leads to harvest. That's what I want you to see today. Christ calls us to a true hearing, which comes from grace and leads to harvest. And all of this leads you to evaluation. Which of those soils has revealed the state of your heart today? What soil is likened to the state of your heart? Hearing, understanding, responding, obeying, and bearing fruit for the glory of God. So hear the word today. Seek his understanding. Rely upon the spirit. And I can promise you, Jesus promises you, it will bear fruit. It will bear fruit. It will not be in vain. He who began a good work in you will be faithful to these words to our hearts. Help us to hear. Help us to see. No God, heal us. And bear fruit for your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.